Well, good afternoon again, everyone. We live in a world of unfaithfulness and deceit. We live in a world where truth is a rare commodity. Lies are everywhere. And it's increasingly difficult in the society that we live in to know if we have the truth. We know that God's word is true and that God is true, but when we close our Bibles and we kind of go into our day-to-day lives, we quickly realize that we live in a world of lies. A.W. Pink said this, quote, unfaithfulness is one of the most outstanding sins of these evil days. In the business world, A man's word is, with exceedingly rare exceptions, no longer his bond. In the social world, marital infidelity abounds on every hand, the sacred bonds of wedlock being broken with as little regard as the discarding of an old garment. In the ecclesiastical realm, and when he says ecclesiastical realm, he means in the church. He says, in the ecclesiastical realm, thousands who have solemnly covenanted to preach the truth make no scruple to attack and deny it. Nor can the reader or writer claim complete immunity from this fearful sin. In how many ways have we been unfaithful to Christ and to the light and privileges which God has entrusted to us? End quote. Truth and faithfulness, really two kind of characteristics that go together. If you are true and, and you live that truth out, you are then faithful. So truth and faithfulness are rarely seen in any sphere. Lies abound, and no wonder ever since the devil lied to our first parents, mankind has learned to lie to get what they want. The devil is the father of lies, and we are born into this world as his children. We are born with the knowledge that we can get what we want if we cover the truth, if we bend the truth, or if we flat out lie. Lying has been wreaking havoc among humanity almost from the beginning. Lying, deception, and unfaithfulness are the characteristics of the devil. Truth and faithfulness is what characterizes God. God is true. God never lies, Titus 1-2. It's impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6, 18. But men lie, and women lie, and Satan lies. And in our day, lying abounds. It abounds on the news. It abounds in politics, in business. Lying abounds on tax returns, in relationships, It abounded in A.W. Pink's day in the early 1900s, and things were no different in Jesus' day. In fact, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders had developed a form of legalized lying. They regarded lying under oath as a serious sin. But only when the oath or the vow was made to God, or only when it was made in His name. They were free to make and break oaths that were not in God's name. They were free to, to, to break oaths that were not in God's name. Plus, by that time, the Jews wouldn't even use God's name for fear of using it in vain. And so they would make oaths and vows by heaven or earth or the temple or the gold in the temple. 
And they developed an elaborate system on which the oaths had to be kept and which ones could be broken. Oaths considered invalid could be broken without consequence. And all of this amounted to a form of legalized lying. They would swear to appear truthful with the intent of deceiving those who were foolish enough to believe them. And of course, Jesus, who himself was the truth and full of grace and truth, saw this for what it was. I want you to open up your Bibles today. We're in our next verse in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 33 to 37 on oaths and vows, swearing falsely, speaking the truth. Let's read the text here. Matthew 5, 33, Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now as we get into our text, we need to remember what this sermon by our Lord is all about. He's telling his listeners what a citizen of the kingdom looks like. He's showing the characteristics of a genuine believer. And he's challenging his disciples to a radical, absolute allegiance to himself and to righteousness. And he does this throughout the sermon by contrasting true believers with the religious hypocrisy of the age in which he lived. The scribes and the Pharisees seemed righteous to those around them, but in reality, their hearts were far from God. And they developed a series of rules to keep them within the bounds of the law, but they ignored the true intent of the law. For example, they would condemn adultery as a horrible sin, and we saw that in the last few weeks. It was a, it was a terrible sin to them, a horrible thing, something that they denounced and condemned but they would pursue the lust of their hearts by getting divorced and remarried to new wives. They had no problem with divorcing their wives and marrying somebody else. There were many such things that the Pharisees developed into a kind of legalized sin, if I can say it that way. They kept their understanding of the law on the, on the external level, on the outward level, but inwardly their hearts didn't love God and didn't serve him. And that's why Jesus said in this sermon in Matthew 5 and verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is showing us the righteousness of a citizen of heaven, and he's showing us what he calls us too as his disciples. This is what we are called to. This is the the righteousness that he calls those who believe in him and who trust in him. This is the righteousness that he calls us to. 
And in our text today, Jesus is showing us what our righteousness should be like in the sphere of our tongues. And we'll look first at what the Pharisees taught and did, and then we'll look at the text again and we'll, we'll look at what Jesus is teaching here. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom are truth speakers. We are those that tell the truth. But let's first look at what I'm going to call number one, the corruption of the Pharisees. So we'll see first the corruption of the Pharisees, and then we'll see the correction of our Lord. But first, the corruption of the Pharisees. Jesus deals with what the scribes and Pharisees were doing when he says in in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And throughout this section, Jesus contrasts what the people had heard with what he says. What was said to those of old is the the Old Testament scriptures. But, But when Jesus says, you have heard, he reminds his hearers that they received what what they were taught from the religious leaders of their day. The religious teachers of Jesus' day taught their own corrupted version of the law. They taught their false interpretations that actually undermined the righteous requirements of the law. And so what was said to those of old? Well, it says there, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, this isn't a word-for-word quote from any Old Testament uh, verse. A a lot of what Jesus has done in this section where, again, verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Or verse 27, you have heard that it was said. Verse 31, it was also said. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Often in in those settings, Jesus gives a, a, a direct quote from an Old Testament verse. And it goes on again in verse 38 and 43. And there's this contrast with what the Old Testament and what the teachers of the Old Testament taught with what Jesus says and teaches. But this one isn't a a word-for-word quote from any Old Testament verse. It's kind of a, a summary of a number of passages that the scribes and the Pharisees used to teach what they taught. So let's look at what the Scripture taught about vows and oaths. And you might not want to turn with, with me to these, but Exodus 20, verse 7. This is from the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Again, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 11, a, a reiteration of the, the Ten Commandments you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That was one of the commandments that this little saying that, the, that those of, who were hearing Jesus had heard. Uh, another one is in Numbers 30 and verse 2. It says this, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. 
Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. And then Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And so if somebody didn't make a vow, that wasn't sin for them. There was, there was no requirement to make a, a vow. But if you did make a vow, you must be careful to do what passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord what you have promised with your mouth. Now, I want you to turn to kind of a, a summary of all of these in the book of Ecclesiastes. So go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And if you're looking for Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Chapter 5. We can just start in verse 4. It says there, when you, when you vow a vow to God... Do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands. And the idea of this messenger, whoever this person is, it, you should never say, well, it was just a mistake. I, I made a hasty vow because God would be angry with your voice and destroy the work of your hands because of this thing. And so again, it's, it's okay not to vow, but once you vow, you must fulfill that thing. And so the Old Testament taught that vows and oaths were permitted and once they were made, they were binding. Vows weren't required, but it was, it was better not to make a vow than to make a vow without fulfilling it. And so to refrain from making a vow was not sin. But I want you to go back then to Matthew, and let's look at, again, what the, the scribes and Pharisees were teaching, and how the teaching of the day had been corrupted. Again, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And so they taught, you shall not swear falsely. To swear falsely was to, to break an oath or a vow, to say that you were going to do something and then not do that thing. Now, an oath and a vow are, are very similar. Uh, an oath is a, or swearing an oath is, is a solemn promise that calls on God to witness the statement or to uphold the truth of the statement. Oaths can also be made by calling on sacred things like the temple or the altar. And a vow is very similar to a solemn promise to God, usually promising some action. So oaths are just in general to anyone calling on God to be a, a witness to the statement, whereas a vow is a promise 
to God, usually promising some kind of an, an action that would be done. I, I, God, I will do X, Y, or Z if you do this part. If you, if you get me out of this problem, I will do fill in the blank. That's a, a vow. Now the oath, or, or again, what Jesus says here, what, what he says they had heard was, you shall not swear falsely, not make a, a false oath, includes when one is put under oath as in a, a court of law. We might say, do not commit perjury. That's, that's really the same idea. Do not commit perjury. Perjury is lying in court or lying under an oath. Not telling the truth under an oath. And that's the negative side of what the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching. Now notice, they reduced the teaching to do not commit perjury or, or do not lie under oath. And what one could do is they could take this and then they could say that we can lie at other times, just not when we swear or not when we make an oath or, or, or not when we are under oath. And then look at what they said on the positive side. So on the one hand, do not swear falsely, do not commit perjury. But on the other hand, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Perform to the Lord what you have sworn or perform your oaths. And again, there's a built-in loophole in this thing. Only oaths to the Lord were viewed as binding. Oaths and vows not to the Lord could be disregarded. They were not viewed as binding. And when we add to all this that Israel avoided using the name of Yahweh, we can start to see that they would make vows and oaths that they felt justified in breaking. They weren't made to Yahweh. They, were, they weren't made in His name. And therefore, they were not viewed as binding and they did not have to be performed in the eyes of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus says in, in this next verse, He says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, because the Jews were superstitiously afraid of using God's name in vain, they, they wouldn't use God's name. And instead, they would make oaths by heaven, where God dwells, or by earth, or by Jerusalem. And then they made all kinds of rules about which oaths were binding and which ones weren't. There was a, a whole book of rules that they had developed about which kinds of oaths were binding and which ones weren't. And, and to kind of see that a little bit more, I want you to just turn ahead to Matthew 23, which is the, the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. This is God's judgment. Jesus pronouncing God's judgment on the scribes and the Pharisees. And we'll start at verse 16. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides! who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, 
If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And so what they had developed was a a legalized lying in their view. And they would make sincere sounding oaths and they would say things like, I swear by the altar. And then they wouldn't fulfill their word. Now what Jesus says in both Matthew 23 and in our text is that all such vows are evil. God is over all things and so to make an oath by anything is to invoke God and God will keep you accountable to what you have sworn. And so that's the the corruption of the Pharisees. And let's go now number two and we'll look at the text again and we'll see the correction of the Lord. So let's look at now the correction of the Lord. Number two, now the Lord's going to give us the true teaching on oaths and vows. Instead of making empty vows like the Pharisees, we are, as, as his disciples and citizens of his kingdom, we are to be people of our word. What the Israelites had heard was a distortion of the biblical teaching. And Jesus here gives the true righteousness that each and every one of us, his disciples, should have. Here is what the Lord Jesus Christ says to you. Right? He says, I say to you, to the original hearers, and then by extension, here's what the Lord Jesus Christ says to you today. Here's what Jesus says our righteousness should be. In verse 34, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now, a question comes up here that we'll, we'll get to a little bit later. Is, is it ever okay to take an oath? What, what is Jesus intending by this prohibition? And for now, I just want to say that I, I don't believe that, that we can never take an oath, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. But, but the idea here, I take it to be, is that there's no need to take an oath or swear by anything about our words. I think this is like much of what we've seen so far in this sermon, and especially in this section of the sermon. These are are things, generally speaking, that we're to do. We We should not, generally speaking, take an oath or make an oath. We shouldn't have to as his disciples. Now, why is that? You know, if you, if you think about it, if we, if I need to make an extra appeal to confirm the truthfulness of what I'm saying, then something is wrong with the way that I normally speak. If I have to say, I'm telling the truth right now, I'm telling the truth, I'm telling you the truth, and I, 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 I tell, I'm telling the truth maybe by my mother's name, right? Have you ever heard something like, by my mother's name, or by the, by the hair on my head, I'm telling the truth, or, or, uh, cross my heart and hope to die. And if I have to say something like that to convince you that I'm serious about what I'm saying, then it means that I'm, I'm not that concerned about speaking the truth the rest of the time. 
And so whenever you come across somebody who makes these kind of promises and vows, you can know this is a shady kind of person, one that I can't take at their word. Those kind of oaths just show that the one making them isn't trustworthy. And so Jesus says we shouldn't swear in that matter. And then he says, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And so he provides four examples of things that we should not take an oath by. Four things that we should not swear by. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or your head. And each of those things that we shouldn't swear by, for each of them, he gives a a reason for it. Heaven is God's throne. Earth is God's footstool. Jerusalem is the city of the great king, and that's a, a, a reference to Psalm 48, which tells us that the, the Messiah will one day reign over the earth as king from Jerusalem. Also, we shouldn't swear by your head because you can't make one hair white or black. Now, what do all these reasons tell us? What do they have in common? The common theme is that all of these things are God's. We live in the sphere of God. And whatever we call upon to confirm the trustworthiness of our words belongs to God. To swear by anything or in heaven or on earth is to swear by something that God created and something that God owns. God is the one who can make one hair white or black on your head. And this attitude, this perspective, is what Jesus wants His disciples to have. We should live with a constant awareness of God's presence. We should have a a daily awareness that, that God is here and that He hears what we say with our lips. When we speak, we should speak knowing that God Himself is listening to what we say. We should live on this in this world knowing that we are on God's planet breathing God's air. And so to take an oath by any of those things, by really by anything is to take an oath by God or to to speak in the name of God. And instead of these false oaths Look at what Jesus commends in verse 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Or the New American Standard translates that like this, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. And it's literally there, your word must be. You see, this is a command. In English, these kind of commands are hard to convey, but it, we might translate this more literally and, and to bring the force of the command, your word must be. This is a command from Jesus Christ, from God in human flesh. It's a command from our Lord, our Master, our Teacher. A command from our God. 
And so the word led is too light in English. It's your word must be is much better. Your word must be. Or another way to, to bring out the meaning would be to, to say, I command your word to be. And what is our word to be? In Greek, it's simply yes, yes, no, no. That's, that's what it says. Yes, yes, no, no. The idea is that our speech, our words should be simply what is true. It should be yes if the answer is yes, and it should be no if the answer is no. And we shouldn't need anything more elaborate to confirm our words. We don't need to swear something to be true. A simple yes or no should be all that is required. We're commanded to give a simple yes or no. Now, that doesn't mean that we can never further explain something. There's obviously times where a simple yes or no is insufficient. But the idea is is that, that what we say should be truthful. What we say should be clear. What we say should be open. What we say should be honest. It should be straightforward. We tell the truth knowing that God is present. We could say that we, we speak the truth from God. Because Jesus says anything more than this, anything beyond straightforward, truthful speech is from evil. Or it's from the evil one. Anything beyond simple, honest speech is devilish. Now whether Jesus means the evil one or simply evil, there's, there's some debate there. I think it's probably more likely that it, it's simply evil here. Anything beyond the truth, the, the source of it is from evil. The source of our speech should be God, not evil. We're to be like God in how we speak. The devil is the father of lies. God speaks truth. God cannot lie, and we're to be like God in our speech. At the end of this section in Matthew 5 and verse 48, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The righteousness that we are to emulate in our day-to-day lives is the righteousness of God. We're to diligently pursue godliness in all areas of our lives, including in what we say. And so we could ask, well, how does God speak? How does God speak? I already mentioned Titus 1-2. It calls God there, God who never lies. 2 Samuel 7-28, And now, O Lord God, You are God and Your words are true. How does God speak? Psalm 25, verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Another word for truth. It, it's true. He, he is steadfast in His love and He is true in the sense that He is faithful and He is in true in the sense that He speaks truth and is true. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. When God makes a promise, He is faithful to bring it to pass. Psalm 33, verse 4, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 111, verse 7 says, The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. 
Psalm 119, verse 142, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Psalm 119, verse 151, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 1.13 calls the Gospel the Word of Truth. God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And again, faithfulness is literally truth. Exodus 34.6 The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness or and truth. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, the, the rock, His work is perfect for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. God is true and faithful. He does what He says and He says and what He says He does. He cannot lie and He hates lies. Psalm 5 and verse 4 says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God equates deceit with bloodthirstiness. In Proverbs 6 and verse 16, it says this, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. God will punish that which He hates. And God hates lying and deceit because it's contrary to Himself. You see, all lies are against the God of truth. And when we lie, we are fighting against God. When we lie, we are opposing God. To lie then is to sin against the truthfulness of God. It's to despise one of the great characteristics of His perfect nature. No wonder then that the psalmist says, you destroy those who speak lies because those who speak lies are seeking to destroy God. They're opposing God with their tongues. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so friends, the only hope of escaping the soul-destroying punishment of the lake of fire is through the forgiveness that's available in Jesus Christ. We have all deceived. 
We have all lied and we are all guilty of sin against the one true God. We are all therefore worthy of death. And the only hope is the forgiveness of Christ. He is described in 1 Peter 2.22 as the one who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was full of grace and truth, John 1.14. He called himself the truth in John 14.6. And he was God in the flesh. And he alone can save us from the, the, the dreadful sin of deceit because he alone lived a perfect life without deceit. And he will receive all who come to God through him. He will welcome all who come to him for the forgiveness of their sins. And if you have not turned from your sins, I invite you even now to come to Christ. He lived a perfect life, perfectly holy, perfectly truthful, perfectly righteous, so that he could give his perfect righteousness as a gift to everyone who believes in him. And he died on the cross to bear God's wrath for the sins of everyone who believes in him. And if you confess your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, he will unite himself to you in such a way that God will view you and treat you as righteous. And we know this is true because God has spoken it in his word and he raised Jesus from the dead as proof to all. If you have confessed your sins and come to Christ, you can know your sins are forgiven and that you are counted as righteous in Christ. And now as a child of God, you are to walk like Christ walked. We're to be holy as our heavenly Father is holy. We're to live perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. And so 1 Peter 2, 1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so if you, brothers and sisters, have tasted the goodness of the Lord, one of the things that we are called to do is to put away all deceit and all hypocrisy. And we're just to be who we are and grow into this salvation that God has given us. Ephesians 4 and verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're to speak truth to one another because we belong to one another as, as part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This is the, the way that we are to walk as believers in Christ. I, I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 5, or sorry, Psalm chapter 15. Psalm 15 asks an amazing question. A Psalm of David, and it says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? In other words, who can have fellowship with God? Who can live near to him. And in verse 2, the answer is, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, 
nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. This person who can dwell in fellowship with God is one who speaks the truth in his heart. As David says in Psalm 51, you desire truth in the inward being. This person is one who swears to their own hurt and does not change. If they made a vow or an oath, they keep it, even if it costs them, even if it, if it goes against them, even if it, if it causes them pain, they will fulfill what they have spoken. A disciple of Christ is a truth speaker. Their yes is yes, and their no is no. And because of that, you can trust them. Now, I want to come back quickly just to this question of oaths and vows and swearing. Is there ever a time for such things? Like I said earlier, I I believe there is. Jesus is talking here as he has been in this whole section generally. He's talking about our day-to-day communication, how we speak to one another. I want to get back to well actually we're going to we're going to go to to James 5 here but in our normal business in our in our regular conversation we should not and need not swear an oath. I think that's the idea that Jesus is giving us here in in our day-to-day business in regular conversation we should not and and need not and really literally must not swear an oath and and James says the same in James 5:12 he says Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. But there may be a time when an oath is necessary and allowable for a Christian. For, for example, in court, right? Our, our society recognizes that we live in a sinful society, and so to try to elicit the truth, they sometimes ask us to make an oath to say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, or something like that. I think in situations like that, it's allowable. Certain jobs require a a swearing-in ceremony, a, a type of a vow to uphold the office with integrity, and those seem to be permissible. In fact, and I want you to even go there with your own eyes and see this. Go to Matthew 26, verse 63. Same gospel, same Jesus speaking. And, and he, in his, in his false trial that he is, is in, he remains silent. He doesn't say anything to these accusations that are brought against him. Look at verse 63, Matthew 26, 63. But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And now, for the first time, Jesus speaks. When he is put under oath by the high priest, Jesus said to him, you have said so. Literally, you said But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, a reference to the Messiah, the Christ. And so Jesus, under oath, now speaks, you have said, 
And he tells them from Scripture that he is the Messiah. Now, there's Jesus speaking under oath. In in, uh, Hebrews 6, verse 16, God himself swore an oath by himself. Hebrews 6.16 says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final, conf- is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And so there's two unchangeable things here that the author of Hebrews tells us. One is that it's impossible for God to lie. And the second one is that God himself made an oath when he promised his salvation. And so God has at times, even though he is always truthful and always speaks the truth, he himself has made an oath. And there's actually a number of other references in the Scripture where we could show that God had made an oath. So wearing an oath is is sometimes necessary in a world of lying and of liars. And Paul made many oath-like statements in his letters. I just want to just kind of read some of these to you. They're, they're very, they're very oath-like. He says in Romans 1 and verse 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you. Or Romans 9 and verse 1, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.23, But I call God to witness against me. I was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. 2 Corinthians 11.31, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Galatians 1 and verse 20, he says, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Philippians 1 and verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5 or sorry, First Thessalonians 2 and verse 5, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. And in First Timothy 2 and verse 7, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so Paul himself used many oath-like statements to confirm the, the validity of his word in, in certain times where he needed to stress to the, his hearers that he was not lying, that he was telling the truth, and he even calls God to witness to the truthfulness of what he's saying. That is what, a, what an oath is. In Revelation chapter 10, an angel swears an oath, and, and uh, I'll just read it to you, Revelation 10.5, and the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. 
And so there are certain times when we should make an oath, but for the most part, in our general speech, we should just be always those who tell the truth. Our yes should be yes, our no should be no. Whatever comes out of our mouth should be truthful because we know that God is listening and He owns this world. This is His world, not ours. And He listens to everything that we say and so therefore we should be like Him and speak the truth. And so we've seen how the Pharisees corrupted what the Old Testament spoke. We've seen the corruption of the Pharisees. And we've seen the correction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let us be like our God who only speaks truth. And let us be like our Savior who is the truth. Anything beyond that comes from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to look at the truthfulness of our words. And we just pray again that if there's anyone here who hasn't come to Christ, who we are certain is guilty of lying in their life, we just pray that You would convict them of their lying and of the dangerous destruction that that will come to all liars, that they will have their part in the lake of fire, and that You will destroy those who speak lies. And we pray that by such conviction You would draw them to Yourself for the forgiveness that's in Christ. Father, we thank You as Your people that You have forgiven us for the lies that we have spoken and said, and we just, we just rejoice in that forgiveness. We thank You for that, Father, and we pray that You would help us to speak the truth to our neighbors, to speak the truth to one another in love, and that we would be truthful people, that our righteousness would exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and so we would show ourselves to be Your true disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.